Good morning. What a pleasure it is to sing these glorious songs and to lift up the name of our great and awesome and most high King Jesus, the Savior of the world. I've heard it argued, never compellingly, but I've heard it argued on occasion that the reason uh, that, that the incarnation of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, only matters insofar as it was a prerequisite for his death. And therefore, all of the emphasis is placed on the cross and the incarnation and his birth and the life he lived was, it was just a matter of fact that was necessary to bring about the real thing. But this is not a biblical understanding. The life of Jesus, the incarnation of God Most High, and those years he lived on this earth have an eternal significance of their own. Without them, we would have a king and no idea how to follow him. W.E.H. Leckie was an Irish historian, not a Christian, a skeptic even of the Christian faith, looked at the arc of history since the time of Christ, and while not being a believer yet himself, he was honest enough to say this, the character of Jesus has not only been the highest pattern of virtue, but the longest incentive in its practice, and has exerted so deep an influence that it may be truly said that the simple record of three short years of active life has done more to regenerate and to soften mankind than all the disquisitions of philosophers and all the exhortations of moralists. The world we live in and so many of the things we take for granted are because of Jesus and the life that he lived and the path that he showed us. This lesson this morning, I, I, this was intentional, but it, it worked out perfectly that in the middle of our series on the Word of God, first week was the Word of God is our life breath, the second week the Word of God is our food, and then on December 24th, 2023, it, it happened that the Word of God became flesh. And so that is what we're looking at this morning. We've been talking about the Word of God and the vitality of the Word of God for our lives. We need it. We must breathe it in. We must consume it. But breath and food are somewhat generic terms. And so this lesson is very substantial. It, it adds a substance to what really is meant by that. The Apostle John, in John chapter 1, said, In the beginning, in the very beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. Notice, whatever this word was, it wasn't just with God, but it also was God. He was in the beginning with God. He, that is the word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and apart from him, nothing was made that was made. John, op John just opens the door wide open in his gospel. Here's the word, and he's using a term that has 
a semantical range that goes far broader than we can get into this morning, but the word, the logos, in the mind of the Greek, those to whom he was writing, the Greeks believed that there was a premier, supreme, central logos. It was the rationale and the reason and the purpose and the thought and everything behind the universe. They looked out and they saw patterns and they saw consistency and stars remain on a certain, you know, every, the, the earth is rotating and there's, there's certain continuation and you can track it and apple trees bear apple seeds and cats breed cats and all of these consistencies, and they said there had to be a central mind behind all of it. And so John comes right out, and he says this Logos was in the very beginning. He was not only with God and that he was beside him, but he also was God. So he was divine, but he was a part of God in a unique way. And he says that he made absolutely everything. But to this point, we don't know exactly who he was, but he puts some particulars on it in verse 14 he says the word this logos became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth and still a name has not been given to this word the word was in the beginning the word was God and the word was with God and the word became flesh. He says he, he dwelt among us. It means to tent among us. He, it was a temporary dwelling, but he came and he lived here and we saw something. And I want you to notice what he says. He says that the, this word become flesh was full of grace and truth. So we know exactly who he means by this when he says he was full of grace and truth in verse 14. And then in verse 17, he says, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So we know who this is. The word was in the beginning. The word made everything. Jesus made everything. Everything. The world works the way that it works because Jesus made it that way. Jesus was the mind behind it. When God spoke in Genesis 1 and verse 1, you know, in the beginning, uh, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. And all through Genesis 1, you see, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be you know, birds of the air and fish of the sea, and these things were so, that word was Jesus. Now, he didn't get the name Jesus until he came and was born of Mary. He, before this, he's just part of God. He's, and then he comes down here and he becomes Jesus, and grace and truth come through him. And the reason why this is significant, the big idea here, is that if Jesus is the word of God, and John says that he is, then if we're wondering what it means to live out, see, I've been saying for the past couple weeks that this book is our life. Breathe in every bit of it. Consume every bit of it. We have to breathe it in. We have to consume it. It is our food. It is our breath. It's more than that we're going to see in the coming weeks. But if we want to know what it looks like to live out these words, that's the life of Jesus. He was the word, 
become flesh. He's a literal embodiment. The incarnation of Jesus was the embodiment of the precise word of God such that you could see everything Jesus did and everything that he said and every application that he brought and every explanation that he gave. And it is somewhat of a commentary, in fact, a perfect commentary on what it means to live out the word of God, which is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, notice, he says, you search the scriptures. See, we've been talking about that. Because you think that in them you have life, and notice what he says, it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. The scriptures are all about Jesus. He said, if you believed Moses, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy. If you believed Moses, he says, you'd believe me. See, there's no, there is no disharmony between the life of Jesus and the law of, sometimes we think well, there's absolutely no purpose for the law anymore. Jesus was an embodiment of the law. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do you see how he's making a connection? He's saying the things I say, the things I do, the life I live, the commentary that I give, the explanation, this is perfect harmony with the words of God. One of my favorite illustrations of this truth is in John chapter 1 and verse 18. John says, No one has ever seen God. The only God, notice this, no one's ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, so we just read right back. He just talked about the Son. This is Jesus. He has made him known. And I don't know what your version says or how it puts it. But what we're doing on the screen is called exegesis. You've heard that term before. It's when you take the scriptures, you put them there, and you pull out whatever's in there. It means to bring out or to lead out or to explain. That's the Greek word, exegeime, is what this word is. Jesus, it says, has made known the Father. Jesus exegeted the Father. So the big idea is Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, notice this, have, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Show us the Father. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? What had he said in the preceding verse? He has made him known. Not just kind of. Not in, un, not in uncertain terms. Not generically. Not in a blurry kind of way. But with great precision, the life of Jesus showed and illustrated exactly who God is. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen the Father, or has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak 
on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. That word is one of the most amazing statements in the Bible about our God. Because you have this being, the Father, and the words that proceed from the, wa- from the Father are perfectly representative of the Father, and then the actions that proceed from the being are perfectly representative of the Father, which is unlike any other person who's ever lived. I say one thing and mean another. I say one thing and do another. I want to be one thing, and I find it to be a law that when I want to do this, I do the other thing. I don't do the things I do want, and I do the things that I don't want. And Jesus came into the world, and he says the Father's essential being is perfectly represented in my words and in my actions. There is no incompatibility between these things. So he says, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now this verse here is the outline for what I want to, I want to spend our next bit of time really exposing what is meant by this. This is one of the central ideas and truths in the Gospel of John about the incarnate Christ. And he says two things about him. He says, in him was life, and this life was the light of men. So those are my, my two points this morning. Jesus is the life, and the life that he lived, and the example that he gave, and the things that he said... That's the light of men. We want to know where to go, want to know how to think, want to know what to do, want to know how to live, want to know what does it mean to live out all these words. It's a big, long book. Actually, it's relatively short for how much God could have said. But there's a lot in this. And Jesus is going to enlighten us in that. So those are my two points. He was the life and he was the light. Jesus showed us how to live. I think that everybody in the world wants to know how to live. It's not, you'd think it'd be intuitive. Look at the animal world. They just come into the world and little baby giraffes come out of the womb and stand up right away. And then they just start living life, and they never question things. They just do exactly as they're supposed to do all the days of their life, never questioning it, just being and doing. Being a human, it, it doesn't seem intuitive. How to live? What should I do? What am I to be doing with my time? Where am I to go? And that's where Jesus came into the world to show us that. He came into the world to show us how to live. And I mean that in both senses. I mean it, and John means it in both senses. Immediately he he means it in the sense of there's a spiritual death that has happened and he's showing you how to be resurrected in your person to where you become indwelling a living being once again, but also to live eternally. If you're alive now in the immediate sense, you will be alive in the resurrection sense in the long term. So Jesus 
showed us how to live. Let's look at what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead will hear the voice. Notice that. What is, what is a voice? These are words. What was Jesus? He was the word. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life, notice the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. In a conversation with Martha, after Lazarus had died, and she was saying, you, know, you got here too late. Lazarus had died. They appealed, come, be here with us. He's, he's dead. And he got, Jesus got there too late. He's dead now. He's in the tomb. His body was rotting already. He got here too late. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In him was life. Jesus came to show us this path. There is, we, ha we have to pay attention to the rhetoric that, that the enemy is putting forth. Become a Christian, it will cramp your style, it will squelch you, you will not have fun anymore, you, you, it will be a drain, it will be a drag, you'll have to change all your friends. This is, the, this is the messaging of the enemy. That's the way he, he works. And then he dissuades people from the truly miraculous incarnate Son of God who they otherwise would believe. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, what, why does he say I came? That they may have life and what? <laughs> have it abundantly. Jesus came to show us how to live. Life comes through Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You, I, I remember um, listening in my younger years to uh, some rock and roll music and Remember hearing Aerosmith, he said, walk this way. And then in my later years, when I, my later years, in the more, more recent years, <laughs> more recent years than those years that were before, I, I, uh, I, be, I got into cooking and baking and just being, I like being in the kitchen and making things and um, I really enjoy it a lot. And um, sometimes I listen to Italian music and Frank Sinatra and, uh, you know, one of, his, uh, one of his most famous songs, I Did It My Way, and you, you've, you've heard this, right? And, and his way, there are, there are a lot of people say, go this way, do this. Walk this particular way. Aerosmith said, walk this way. Frank Sinatra said, I, I did it my way, and neither one of them 
involved Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. If we wish to have life and not only have life, but have abundant life, where you wake up in the morning invigorated, with purpose, and a transcendent hope, and a direction for where you will go, and energy in your step to go do the things that you must do, Jesus said, it is through me. This is why he came into the world, not only to die. The culmination of the redemptive work of Jesus was Calvary. Yes, but the life that he lived in the years prior to that are recorded for us so that we could know that's how we do what Jesus did. This is what he's expecting of me. So Jesus came that we may have life. And I want you to hone in on this idea here of the way. What is, what's the correct path that I'm supposed to be going in my life? And that, the John a minute ago, we looked at John chapter 1 and verse 4 where he's, Jesus said, I am, or excuse me, where John says he, he came into the world and in, in him was life and the life was the light of men, right? This life was light to people. Now, I want to ask you, what does that imply about the condition of man prior to receiving the Christ. What does it imply about the nature of the world prior to Christ's incarnation? If it's said that Jesus came into the world and his life gave great light to men, like, like what it says over in Matthew, right when Jesus you came out of the wilderness and it says he went into the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali and on them a great light has dawned those who were dwelling in darkness and in the regions of the shadow of death those people there the idea is if Jesus brought light then the natural state of man prior to his incarnation is that of darkness it is that of ignorance it is that of misunderstanding it is that of confusion it is that of you wake up and you have the question what way am I supposed to where, where am I supposed to go and it, all that would be at the end of that is a question mark with absolutely no answer well Jesus came and he gave the light I was listening recently to a, a guru and I mean a literal guru from India practicing the Hindu faith the Hindu religion and he was saying in this, it was, a, it was a podcast, and he was talking about how to live your life, what you should do. And he said, everyone within themselves has every answer. You have everything inside of you that you could ever need. Jesus said, I'm the light. There were years that I spent looking inward for answers. And the longer that I looked within the darker things got and the more I looked for an answer within my own mind the more confusion that I had and is it any wonder in the world we live in today where modern psychology and really all of modern philosophy the whole way of thinking is go within look within yourself find the answers there 
Is it any wonder why there's so much confusion and why there's so much lostness and why there's so much despair? We were not created to be lights on our own. We're lamps. And we can house light. And we can give light. But the light comes from Jesus himself. In him was life and the light, the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This word that he uses, it's a Greek word that is intentionally ambiguous. It can be translated, and maybe your version says this, the light has not grasped it, or the light has not comprehended it. The light has not been able to get its hands on it, or excuse me, the darkness has not been able to get its hands on it, and the darkness has not been able to understand it, because it was so different it was so different than the way that people thought and the things in their mind prior to the incarnation that when it came, the, the knee-jerk reaction, it's kind of like you're sleeping in a dark room and somebody flips on the lights in the middle of the night. Have you ever, has that ever happened? What, Miranda and I were, a few years ago, we were up in uh, Minnesota for Christmas and my nephew, who was three or four at the time, at five in the morning, we, we were fast asleep, whipped into the bedroom and said, it's Christmas, and turned on the lights and then bolted out. My knee-jerk reaction was to try and seize him. <laughs> he got away quicker than I could. This, this is what he's saying. And this is, it needs to be known at the fore. It needs to be known up front that that's the that is the reaction unless you've been wandering around in darkness trying to find your way and you've been stubbing your toe and hitting your knee on things and running into walls and then you're ready for it and you want it so it's a difference between searching or sleeping but the darkness has not comprehended it or seized it he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son. Now this word here, the, for the only Son, the, it more literally means, it's monogenes. It means one of its kind. One of its class. There's never been another one like him. It's not just that God only has one Son. Israel was his Son. You and I are his sons and daughters. But the, he was the only one of this kind. There was no other that has ever been like him and no other that ever will be like him. And therefore, what he did was totally and completely unique in the world in the light that he gave. So I want to give a few, I just want to run through three enlightenments that Jesus gave. And then the lesson will be yours. Some people prefer the dark. It's the first thing that John, one of the first things John points out to us about this light. That's interesting to me. And notice what he says. He says, the light has shine, shines in the darkness, and the darkness, remember this, has not overcome it. It means to seize it or grasp it. He says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, and on account of not knowing him, and not understanding him, as the preceding verse said, verse 5, it says that he came to his own, and what happened? What was the result? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
There, here's why this matters. It matters for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons that it matters is there is a conception that is floating through the evangelical world that says if the world is hostile to Christianity, if the world is hostile to a church, and if the world is hostile to an individual Christian, the reason is that the church is not representing Jesus well enough. And the Christian is not behaving like Christ good enough. And if only we would eliminate the totality of hypocrisy, and if we could get rid of all of the inconsistencies, then the world would receive us with open arms. And the glaring problem with that is that Jesus represented Jesus totally and completely perfectly. And he came to his own, and they didn't receive him. That's one of the reasons why this statement matters. The other one is, as a personal call for me when I go into the word, will I hear it? John says right from the beginning he came and they didn't receive. So for me, that tells me they didn't receive him, which means what he said was different than what they thought, and that's why, and therefore, I'm a human just like they are when I go into the word. It's going to be my temptation to not receive him. It's going to be my temptation to not believe him. And so that's, knowing this at the beginning helps me to receive these next two illuminations that Jesus gave. Second one is that joy comes from obedience. Just stop and think about the messaging that you hear in music and in media and in culture and from your peers. Where, where does this world say you will find your joy? Pleasure? Drink? Man's praise? The approval of men? Accolades? Climbing the ladder? Accomplishing this or that, things, materials, consuming more and more, doing whatever it is that you and your heart desire, is that not the word from the world concerning joy and where you find it? Go do whatever you feel like, be whatever you want, and you will then be filled up. That's the message. And notice what Jesus says. He came to, have, to give us life. And he said it was an abundant life. And this life, John says, was enlightening men because it was not at all what they expected. So this thing that Jesus came to show us is that joy, true joy on the inside where, look, where there's no conflict any longer in my mind between I want to do this and I want to do this and I'm torn in two directions at all times and the war that happens within and there is no lack of confidence when I look forward to the future and I see bleak circumstances in our midst. And yet through them I can be happy. And like Paul who was in prison and who was beaten countless times and shipwrecked and rejected by his own kin and rejected by the Gentiles. And he was flogged and he was scourged many times. And what did he write? The book of Philippians where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And he was in prison. Where's this joy coming from? Well, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, what's the, the end goal here? He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be partial that your joy may be full. This is where joy comes from. It comes from obedience to the Father. And Jesus came and he showed this. The third enlightenment that Jesus gave, and this is the one that I think is perhaps the most paradoxical. Self-denial brings abundant life. Again, I, oftentimes in my preaching, I'm going to say, here's what it says, here's what we're hearing every day on the street. This is, this is a culture that is ruled by self-governance, self-fulfillment, self-confidence, self-esteem, self-will, love yourself. That's, this is a culture that is filled with these things. And Jesus came into the world, and notice what he says. He says, I can do nothing on my own. Even the Son of God become flesh. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Chapter 6 and verse 38, he says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will. I, Jesus himself didn't come to do his own will. The, the world says, follow your heart. Jesus himself says, I don't even do that. I listen to the words that I'm receiving from the Father, and I say to him, that is my will. It's your will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. How far did he go with that? Matthew 26, 39, this was his own personal will, which I would imagine would be the will of me and the will of you if we found ourselves in the same circumstance. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, not as I will, but as you will. What was the result of Jesus coming into the world and pursuing the will of God Above all. Sometimes we sing the song, he thought of me above all else. I understand the sentiment of it. There's a sense in which it's true. But the one he thought of above all else was God the Father and the will of God the Father. This is what he said. I came to do his will, not my own. And the immediate the immediate reality in his life was that Jesus was the most joyful man who ever lived. There wasn't a day in his life that he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit in the most perfect sense. He was totally and perfectly happy every single day, even all the way to the cross. And he says this to me and you, and if we will do as he did, then the thing that happened to him is the thing that will happen to us. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. This is what his life shows us. Self-denial brings life. Because watch what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and then follow me. For, why are you saying this, Jesus? For whoever would save his life. See, this is the opposite of self-denial. That's self-will. That's self-fulfillment. If anyone would save his life and say, I'm not giving that up. I love these things. I want these things. He said, you will eventually lose it. And you may already begin to feel that loss. But whoever loses his life, see, this is self-denial. For my sake, he will find it. And there will be life and it will be in abundant life. I love Jesus more than I love anyone else on the planet. Because these words that we've been bringing into our lives, which Jesus lived them perfectly, and they were given to us for life, I find it to be that when I do as these words say, even when it confronts me, even when it challenges me, even when it goes against everything that's within me, I find life and I have life and I'm filled up and I have joy and I have peace. And this is why Jesus came into the world. This is why Jesus lived among us, to show us this path. And he will give life to any. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are now. Jesus came that you may have life. And so the call this morning is will you believe in him? And will you receive him? And will you put on Jesus Christ in baptism? And if you have a need, and if you need prayers, or if you wish to devote your life to Jesus our Savior, you can let that be known while we stand and sing this song.